0: Hey, I'm Warren Haynes, and
1: this is The Blues Podcast. Hello, this is Big Boy Blow, and welcome to The Blues Podcast. Uh, last time, I was talking to Warren Haynes, of course, of government mule fame, etc., etc. Uh, Warren had so many great stories, and we were having such a great chat. We decided to make a part two because there was just so much to cram in. So uh, welcome to part two of the Blues Podcast with Warren Haynes. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your record label. This is quite an intriguing thing. So you have your own record label called uh, Evil Teen Records. What's that about? Evil Teens? Aren't they all evil?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a bit redundant as well, right? Uh, Evil Teen uh, originally was my wife's label. And uh, when I met my wife, which was 30 years ago, uh, I had just joined the Allman Brothers, and she had just started to do A&R for Island Records in, in New York City. And uh, after she you know, she t- tried to sign several bands there, that they kind of turned her down. Uh, and then all those bands went on to be hugely successful. So she she quit and, and started a management company and started her, her own record company. You know. The she she tried to sign the first three bands she tried to sign were the Black Crows, Blues Traveler, and the Spin Doctors. Wow. And in all three cases they said no and then somebody else signed them and hadn't a huge hit. Yeah. And then she tried to sign uh nine inch nails to uh, a, a worldwide deal. They they already had a, a small deal at that time, and her and a, another woman named Karen Yee were pushing for nine inch nails, and and Island said no. And then their success uh, was enormous, so she said uh, fuck you and and quit and started a label. Yeah. Uh, and in the beginning, we kind of agreed not to work together. She had a management company i was no part of that she had a label i was no part of that but then eventually uh, as things progressed we started well the first thing was that uh alan woody and matt apps came to me and said that they wanted to fire government mules manager and hire my wife as the manager and what did i think about that and i said well if you're asking me if i think she'll do a great job the answer is yes but it puts me in a position of not being able to fire my manager, which I don't like. <laughs> <not> uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but we made the decision and we did it and it, 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 it still works. But uh, we started eventually thinking about Evil Teen as a label that either one of us could utilize. Um, so a lot of great records have, have been, have come through Evil Teen and, and, uh, it's great because when Government Mule makes a record, or if I make a solo record, uh, or if I'm producing a record that I really believe strongly in, we can fund it ourselves and complete it and have a finished product and then go to other labels and say, do you like it? Are, are you interested in it? You know, But we, we're still able to make the record we wanna make without outside influence Uh, And then we can partner with a handful of labels, all that that uh, we've had success with, you know, and and it's really cool to be able to have that kind of relationship. You know, our our relationship with Mascot and Provog and uh, they're they're based on mutual respect and and uh, and passion, being passionate about what you're doing, but. In the states, a lot of the labels that uh, that we would be kind of uh, possibly working with, they're only looking at numbers. They're not listening to the music, and I, I can't yeah. operate that way. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, I- if you don't believe in what you're selling, then you
1: have no business selling it. Yeah, absolutely. But so, is it ever uncomfortable that you know? Uh, you, you record a record and it's like, well, which label is going to get this? I don't want this on my own label. Or am I going to like send this off to to mascot and they're going to release it? Or is that not an issue at all?
0: Well, all the, there's only a handful of people that we trust enough to work like that. Yeah. And it, it's all people that have similar philosophies to what we have. People that are very passionate about what they're doing. And so if, if someone's passionate enough about it and they uh, think it's something they would like to be part of, then that's where the, the discussion usually usually starts. Um, you know, I think at this point, we all realize that we have to work together. It, it, the, deck, the deck's kind of stacked against us anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: So if, if we're lucky enough to have a, h- a handful of allies in this business that we can work with, then that's a good thing, and and let's uh, let's have each other's back, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, a very a very good plan indeed. It's uh, it's not easy times being a musician, right?
0: It's not, and, and it, I don't know that I would ever have recommended someone to be a professional musician, but these days, uh, even even less. Uh, I always tell people when when someone would ask me, "What's your advice to a young musician or a young artist?" My advice is, unless you know this is what you want to do with the rest of your life, then just do it for fun and find another way to make money. Right. Uh, because if you're not sure and, and there's a chance that two years, five years, ten years down the road you're going to change your mind, it's not worth the aggravation. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. it, it's not an easy thing. There's so much sacrifice. I mean, you, as, as you well know, it's, you, you have to give up a lot to go into the music business Absolutely. and these yeah. days, even more th- than ever, you
1: know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to ask you about the Christmas jam. I've heard so much about it. Uh, let's, let's, for anybody who hasn't heard about it, let's, let's start at the beginning. How did it come about the Christmas jam?
0: Christmas jam came about 1988. Uh, I was in the Dickie Betts band and had not yet joined the Allman brothers. Um, it was something that came about as a result of a bunch of local musicians in my hometown that all got together to jam at the only time of the year that all the traveling musicians seemed to be home which was Christmas time
1: because it's hard to so, on the road right yeah, So <laughs> yeah
0: because everybody's traveling so yeah. it was the one time then, then all that all of us were around so we would get together uh, take over a, a small club raise, you know, a few thousand dollars and and give it to charity. Uh, In the beginning, we picked a different charity every year. And just to give you a sense of how far back this goes, one of the charities was Vietnam Vets. So it was before the Gulf War. Yeah. Like this is how long Christmas Jam has been going. We would also, uh, you know, we worked with uh, organizations that uh, dealt with with homeless problems uh, with – a lot of different charities, but then eventually we started working with Habitat for Humanity, which builds houses for people that can't afford homes. Yeah, uh, Christmas Jam was getting bigger. After about three years of being a local event, some of my uh, friends like Alan Woody and Kevin Kinney and Edwin McCain and uh, and Derek Trucks and and some people were starting to to show up. Um, Toy Caldwell from the Marshall Tucker Band came one year. Bobby Keys from the Rolling Stones came one year. Uh, It was starting to get bigger, and we outgrew the club scene, so we moved it into a theater. And the second year that we did it at the theater, we turned a few thousand people away. So from that point forward, we did it in the arena. Wow. Uh, And so... This past year, this past Christmas Jam, uh, the, 30th, the 30th anniversary was in 2018. Um, it, we've raised at this point, I think close to $5 million for uh, wow. for Habitat. We built 40 or 50 houses, uh, developments, neighborhoods, you know, but it goes further, like people volunteer, uh, fans volunteer, uh, to come in several days early and physically work on the houses, or, or contractors volunteer, or plumbers volunteer, or you know, carpenters, or whatever the case. You know, yeah. but through the years, it's the the people that have played there, it's 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 magnificent. Uh, you know, this past one was with Dave Grohl and Joe Bonamassa and Eric Church and, and Jim James and Grace Potter and uh, Mike Gordon from Fish and. Government Mule, I mean, you know, we've had the Allman Brothers several times, we have Dave Matthews, we've had Widespread Panic, all the guys from the Grateful Dead and various uh, incarnations. Uh, I spoke to you about uh, John Paul Jones before he came for the 20th anniversary, I think, and came both nights and played with so many different bands and just had a blast, played mandolin, played bass, uh, and He and I did some acoustic stuff together. Uh, But it's just, uh, we've been so fortunate that it kind of garnered its own reputation because it's one of those events that the music that gets played is very special because everybody there is playing for free. And it all reminds us of why we started playing music in the first place, you Mm know? so. A, most of the people that come are the type of folks that check their ego in the first place but for this event it's kind of a requirement you know everybody that shows up shows up to be a part of this beautiful uh, charity event that's uh,
1: for all the right reasons you know. That's amazing I I kind of love the way i've got this image in my head now of you remembering years and the eras by which charity you were working for at the time kind of thing like you know it's uh 1988 oh yeah that must have been the uh (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah well and some of them uh turned out to not be as uh above board as we liked and that's why when we when we switched to habitat we were very happy with our decision and stayed with that uh since then you know um but, you know, playing for charity is such a a, a beautiful thing because uh, as musicians, this is what we do every day anyway. Yeah. So to just get up and play and sing with a bunch of your friends and have it turn into building houses for people that can't afford houses, what could be more beautiful than that? You know, I mean, it, you know how it is if – if we're at a party somewhere and you slip off into the back room and you're playing music for 10 people for free that's what musicians do so it's yeah. uh it's being able to do what you love and what you do every day of your life and, and turn it into something good
1: yeah yeah which is an amazing thing and it's uh yeah you I must be very proud of that and, and rightly so it's uh, it's a fantastic fantastic well, thing and,
0: to do. and and grateful to all the people that have been part of it through the years the the list is enormous and if you if if someone wants to go on xmasjam.com or xmasjam.net and just check it out it uh, we release dvds and cds of the of the highlights of the performances and all the money goes to charity uh merchandise recordings everything uh it's 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 a cool thing i'm i'm glad to be associated with
1: it next year you should get paul mccartney to do it i would love that yeah yeah i'll get Get, get McCartney on the phone now. Yeah, yeah, I was right. going to say, can yeah, you yeah, call yeah, get, him for me? <laughs> yeah, if only. Um, there's one more. I've got a bunch of fan questions to ask you, but there's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about, and that is your policy of, um, of tape sharing. Um, a lot of people probably won't. Won't even remember. I mean, it was rife uh, a few years ago. People would go into a gig with a little tape recorder and record a gig kind of thing, wouldn't they? And the the market of swapping tapes and all that was, you know, really exciting. Uh, Do kids still do that now these days? And I mean, I know that you are quite pro this idea, aren't you? A lot of musicians aren't at all. Well,
0: we started uh, with the Allman Brothers uh, in the early 90s. Uh, and government, government Mule from its inception, we started letting people record the shows and we would even set up taper sections. So the tapers could get there early, they would have a roped off area, you could set up your microphones. And uh, some of the recordings are quite amazing that, that people make. Um, there were a few things that we found, it doesn't add to the bootlegging situation, it actually kind of negates the bootleg situation. Nobody has any reason to uh, pay for a government mule bootleg or a Grateful Dead bootleg or an Allman Brothers bootleg or a widespread panic bootleg because they can get them for free. So it really just spreads the music. And there's a whole scene of people that prefer live recordings to studio albums. And in a lot of cases, they prefer their own recordings to anybody else's. Yeah. So those people and the whole network of people that uh, are part of that um, just spread, they just spread the music. They trade it. Yeah. You know, we don't allow any money to change hands, and we don't let people plug into the mixing console. But uh, it really is a way of uh, kind of feeding this other part of our fan base that they're huge music lovers. And and, yeah. and uh, for us – it's worked out quite well. We also have what we call MuleTracks.com, which is a site where you can download for a fee what we consider to be far superior recordings that we do ourselves. Uh, yeah. They're, you know, they're uh, either live recordings through a console or in, in a lot of cases, remixed live recordings. And uh, the, the quality is really good. And the only reason that would work out for a band like us is because every show is different. Yeah, right. So uh, it wouldn't work out for a band that plays the same 14 songs the same way every yeah. night, but we don't do that. Over the course of a government mule tour, we might play 200 songs, you know? Yeah. And so if a fan feels like, oh, I wish I would have been at this show, but I can download it. Or if they feel like, oh, I was at this show and it was great. I'd love to have a copy of it. Uh, you know, so it's it's a cool thing.
1: Yeah, yeah The way When you explain it like that, I I totally get it. I mean I had someone come to me the other week asking Uh, they videoed something at one of my shows and they wanted to put it up as a as an advert for something else And I watched the video and I thought you know what the video the quality was just terrible. I mean I that's the only thing that kind of really puts me off this idea is how do you how do you sort of how do you let go of the, of wanting to control what, what's going on? The quality, you know? Well, the videos that people put on YouTube, we have
0: nothing to do with. They, yeah. those are people that are filming on their cell phones against our wishes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and most of them are terrible. And, and I don't understand why people would even want to post something that looks and sounds the way a lot of these videos on YouTube look and sound. Yeah. Um, but the the audio recordings that people make for themselves are quite good right uh so we really just can't control the the video part of it with youtube and all that stuff i i wish we could uh not from a control freak standpoint but just from the standpoint of of feeling like that's not representative of what we look or sound like yeah uh right. But at the same time uh you know i, I feel like how are you going to stop that yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, and I also personally feel like, hey, put your phone down and enjoy the show you know? The moment,
1: right yeah, I'm you know sure. it's
0: like when you go to your kids school play and everybody 's filming on their cell phone it's like wouldn't you rather be actually watching it, you know yes. uh yeah. But that's that's the culture we li- we live in today. Unfortunately, um, yeah. but one thing you said that struck me uh, as as poignant: how do you let go? In the very beginning, we had to let go of any aversion to. What if someone puts one of our worst nights up there? What if it's a night? Nice, yeah. My voice sounded like shit? What if it's yeah. that night I play in a solo on the wrong key? you know <laughs> whatever it is yeah uh so, but we decades ago made the decision to have our worst nights and our best nights side by side, so you know we're we're okay with that we We realized you know the Grateful Dead always looked at it like once we played it, it belongs to the people
1: right.
0: uh so. We don't we don't maintain or, or assume any control over that. Uh, and once you get used to the fact that most of our fans aren't judgmental about whether or not there are mistakes, uh, you know, we we might try a song for the first time and we might screw it up. Yeah. But we don't care. Uh, maybe thirty years ago we cared, but now <laughs> now we don't care. Uh, because I, I look at it completely different now. I look at If I went to see any artist, any of my favorite artists, and they said, "We're going to try a new song. we've never played it before," and the singer forgot the second verse, or part of the band went to the bridge, and part of the band went to the guitar solo,
1: I would think that's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I would not be offended and I absolutely would not want my money back. Uh, it, it's, it's that having that little bit of danger that makes the live show interesting, right? It's,
0: uh, I, I think so. It makes it uh, worth going to, you know, when I go to a show, I want to see something that's never happened before and never going to happen again. Yeah. That's the ultimate live experience, right?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, do you ever listen back to any of those fan recordings?
0: Yes, uh, occasionally, you know, and some of them sound quite good, but you know, I don't listen very often. Uh, when we're on the road, we usually, toward the beginning of the tour, we'll listen to our recordings for the first few days, right? Yeah, for the balance and to see uh, sonically what they sound like and if anything needs to be changed. Um, and uh, there were there was a time when we would even like sit as a band and listen uh to think about arrangement changes and if we wanted to kind of give something a break and revisit it at a later date or what you know anything like that but uh for the most part i I don't i don't listen uh and
1: it's probably better that way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's what I used to call the, the gig autopsy, where afterwards yeah. you, you'd kind of yeah, that's right. dissect it, take it apart, and, you know, and because things, move on to the next one.
0: I'm sure you're the same way as, as me. When we hear ourselves, all we hear is what we don't like. We don't hear what we do like. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I just hear the mistakes and the parts yeah. that make
1: me cringe. <laughs> yeah, you can't hear it as the whole picture like someone else hears it, can you? No. No. And
0: and a friend of mine said one time about making records, he said, it's a shame we never get to hear it for the first time. And you know what he means by that is so much goes into the process. How great would it be to be able to hear it without having heard any of that process? When you hear somebody else's record, you just hear it as a finished product, you know, but when we hear our own music, it's like, well, all the growing pains that got us to that point are part of the, that listening experience yeah. I, I,
1: yeah I totally understand what you're saying, and actually I had a thought about this um, earlier on um, it 's kind of a weird thought. Bear with me, but my, my dad just recently passed away he had uh, he had d- dementia and he was forgetting a lot of things, and I, I thought you know that's that's possibly going to happen to me if I managed to live that long and, and you know, and what, what am I going to forget? What crazy stuff am I going to say? And I thought, God, what would happen if you forgot your own music and then someone played it back to you? Would you think that's amazing? or oh my God, who is this idiot? Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's a, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a terrible thought to be like, wow, that's, that sucks. What
1: is that? Oh, well, that's you. <laughs> that's you. <laughs> yeah oh we've got that to look forward to maybe eh? oh, uh, what a... yeah. or
0: hopefully not but possibly yeah.
1: <laughs> fingers crossed um I- i've got a whole bunch of fan questions here uh if you don't mind uh do- doing a couple of those we've had lo- so many people write in for you or i tell you it's i think it's the most question we've ever had it's uh ah. I-, I try and filter out some of the real stupid ones or actually i might keep a couple of the real stupid ones and, all right uh, but um uh, let, me, let me start with this one from uh, Shanda Bissett, uh, who says, uh, first off, love Warren and all of Government Mule. So uh, that's nice. Uh, I would like to know what is his favourite type of venue to play? Small, intimate, or a larger one like Red Rocks?
0: Well, I, I always say that playing in the two to 3,000 seat theatre is kind of the best uh, of all worlds. It's a compromise. You get some of that intimacy that you get in a small club, and you get some of that huge, enormous wave of energy that you get from a big crowd. So if I had to choose one, it would be, you know, in the 2,500-seat theater, like the Beacon Theater uh, or the Capitol Theater in Portchester. Um, But... Since we don't have to choose, it's it's nice to occasionally do several nights in a in a small place, or festivals, or, or one night in a in a big place. Like when we do Red Rocks, Red Rocks is probably my favorite venue of all to play. Yeah. You get some of that because uh, Red Rocks, the audience goes up like this, yeah. Yeah. so you can see the entire crowd, which is really amazing. And at some point over the course of the night, the moon comes up between the rocks and it's just this amazing, poetic, picturesque uh, environment. And it sounds really good. And the Colorado audiences are great. But uh, I would I would hate to do only stadiums or only arenas or yeah. something where you don't have that intimate connection with the crowd, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but when we do them, It's fun because that's a whole nother kind of energy. I
1: mean, it must change the dynamic of your set list. I I would imagine, right? Absolutely. When
0: you're playing in a big place, uh, you keep the tempos much more up-tempo, tend to play more of the songs that people recognize, not get as obscure or esoteric. Right, yeah. Um, In a small place, you can pull out something uh, for the hardcore fans that you haven't played in a long time and know that it's going to work.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Another question for you. This one is from David Aitzen. <laughs> and uh, right, this is going to be such a tough question for you. Uh, are you ready, Warren? This is uh, Did you enjoy your stint with the Grateful Dead? And was Jerry a good guitarist? <laughs>
0: uh well the first part of the question first i i, I had a great time working with the dead and uh, and, and close friends with all those guys and, and love all of them dearly um i still do some stuff from time to time with phil lesh uh, more than anybody else but all those guys, with the exception of Mickey, who hasn't been to Christmas Jam yet, they've all been to Christmas Jam and we play together and other little things here and there. Uh, it was a fantastic experience for me. Uh, I wish that the original members were getting along a little better than they were at that at that time. Uh, but it, I, had a, I had a great experience. Um, Jerry was a fantastic musician in the way that he achieved the ultimate, which is to create a voice that is recognizable instantaneously. Uh, there are so few musicians and guitar players uh, as well, that when you hear 10 seconds, you know who it is. Yeah, And that to me, you know, that's, uh, that's the ultimate compliment. His sense of history and his sense of melody uh, was astounding. You know, he was not someone that played off of his technique. From a technical standpoint, uh, there were tons of people that, that had better technique, but that has nothing to do with music. You know, uh, music is in your heart and soul and in your brain, and the way you bring it out is, is what matters. Um, I was not as big a Grateful Dead fan as a kid as I would become – Later, yeah, and for me, when I first started realizing song after song after song, how many great songs they had, that's what hooked me was the catalog itself. Before I got into uh, the uh, the actual music, uh, and this is somewhere I would say early '90s when I when I started hearing the band live and stuff. I, I saw them a few times with Jerry and really loved hearing those shows but um when i was growing up i guess my head was elsewhere i was listening to more jazz and blues and stuff at the time yeah. and would hear that music in the background and always enjoyed it but never studied it until i would later on but long story short you know uh, there are very few guitarists that have put their stamp
1: on music the way he has yeah i think sometimes you're not quite ready to hear something right and then you know you kind yeah. of of sort- put it on the back burner and then suddenly one day it goes wham and it hits you and you think why didn't I take more notes of this before but I guess you're just not ready yeah. That's
0: exactly right. I I was that way with Robert Johnson and with Sun House. Uh, People tried to tell me at a younger age that you need to study these people but when I heard it back then I didn't get the connection. Then one day uh, I don't know a few years later I'm hearing it and all of a sudden for the first time
1: it just knocks me out. And like you say, you have to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um another question here. This one is from Lucia P- P- Pirtle. Oh, I'm terrible at names. Uh sorry, Lucia. Um, let's uh let's the question is, how do you spend your time at home? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure we're referring to now. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of time at home now right not right now yeah Yeah.
0: you know and and I I feel lucky because uh, for about 20 something years I I, my main residence was an apartment in New York City and then uh, about 12 years ago I bought a place uh, about an hour north of New York in the country and I and I have about five acres and very nice. I, I'm glad now that uh, although I, I love New York City, I'm glad that I'm not in the city and that I'm yeah. here because I, I have an eight-year-old son. We can spread out. We uh, we have this thing called a Kawasaki Mule, which is like a, not an ATV, but kind of like an ATV. Yeah. And we ride it around and, uh, and we have room to spread out. We have a lot of time together and it's a challenge, but I, I, I have to love the fact that I'm spending more time with my family than I ever have. Yeah. And that's both good and bad. Yeah, but how I, do they feel I about dwell that? dwell on the
1: good. <laughs> um, uh, another question. Uh, this one's from Jeff Peters, which is a name I can pronounce, uh, thankfully. Uh, Jeff says, uh, what solo projects might be on the horizon? Uh, he's heard you mention uh, doing a blues album, which I think we kind of spoke about early. Uh, earlier, uh, as well as an instrumental album. That that sounds very exciting. So uh, the big plans, uh, or is it just a sort of vague idea in your mind at the moment? Well, all those things
0: are uh, in line to be either next or one of the next things that I do. Um, Meaning, I do want to do a blues album. I do want to do an instrumental jazz influenced record. And I've been writing some instrumental music for the first time in a long time. Uh, One of the songs I've written is kind of influenced by uh, Frank Zappa, and one of the ones I've written is influenced by Charles Mingus. Um, But I also uh, have been writing a lot and even recording some stuff that's somewhere in between my Man in Motion record, which was like a soul music record, and my Ashes and Dust record, which is more of like an Appalachian, Record the stuff that I'm referring to is kind of in between those two, kind of like Muscle Shoals or something, like country soul. I, I don't no. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, a lot of band influence, a lot of Muscle Shoals influence, and uh, I'm also very influenced by the the tour we did with Jamie Johnson and New- and Lucas Nelson, where we did the Last Waltz stuff, no. uh, and. All these things are are in the works, so to speak. What's exactly the next in line? I'm not sure, Um, but that's the best I can do for now.
1: (laughs) That's that's pretty good. That's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, we like that. We like that a lot. Um, Okay, I've got a question here from Jim Rector, and he says, "Does Warren feel a responsibility to address social?" inequalities and, in, and current political issues through your music. Uh, that's a toughie. There you go. <laughs>
0: uh, I've always felt that. And, uh, you know, anybody who thinks that artists should not address uh, the political climate is not really paying much attention. Yeah. Uh, all the great music and all the great artists through the years have taken on those responsibilities and my first solo record had quite a few political statements on it uh the government mule records have all had political statements and our last record revolution come revolution go obviously fits even more into that category uh i think now it's up to everybody especially if you have a voice to let people know where you stand because as far as i'm concerned what's going on right now is a question of do you want to be on the right side of history or on the wrong side of history?
1: Yeah.
0: People that are reluctant to come into the next decade, uh, are just dragging their feet against the inevitable.
1: Yeah.
0: And so with all the racial inequality, all the social inequality, all the financial inequality, everything that's going on, uh, is something that not only has to be addressed, but is being addressed. And I don't think, I think for the first time in my lifetime, we've reached a point where there's no turning back, that young people are not gonna be satisfied until there's some serious major change made in this world. And, uh, you know, some people will look at me and say, well, you're, you've are you been very successful, how can you take uh, a side such as that? Well, A, I try to, to give back in my own way, but, that's neither here nor there. That's really none of anybody's business. More importantly, I grew up in a, in a very working class environment. My dad uh, worked in a grocery store and worked double and triple shifts to feed his family. I'm very fortunate that, uh, that I've been able to do well in my life. But if you looked at my career, starting even if, let's say, from the time I was 18 until now, There were a lot of years where I made no money and the sacrifices we were talking about earlier to be a musician. That's why, you know, I, for whatever reasons, didn't get married or have kids early on, uh, which enabled me and allowed me to explore playing music in a way that some people can't do because of their financial obligations. And uh, I think at this point in time, whoever you are, it's easy to 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 speak up, to to give, to do whatever you can, however big or however small. It's time for change.
1: Yeah, I think if you're writing your own songs as well, it's very hard not to have the current situation that we're all going through come through in that songwriting in one way or another. Though, right? I mean, you know, absolutely. Unless you're just writing la 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 la, it's you know, there's always going to be some sort of comment in there, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, and, and a lot
0: of times the people that are asking artists not to uh, be political aren't really listening to the lyrics in the first place
1: right yeah you know
0: uh if you think about all your favorite music through the years how much of it was uh was in protest you know uh, uh,
1: quite a bit yeah yeah absolutely i've just had one last question come through on my screen here and um i don't seem to have a name for who wrote this but um Someone's telling me that uh, your, your solo album, Ashes and Dust, uh, you wrote it 23 years before it was recorded? Is that uh, right? Some,
0: some of the songs go back that far, not, right. not
1: all of them. Uh, there were a
0: few songs that were written within the last three years before I recorded. And there were one or two that go back like 20 years that I had always wanted to record it, but, but had never found the right reason. Right. Uh, So when I started compiling songs, I decided to go back and any of the songs that I felt like had never been recorded that I always felt I needed to, uh, I included them in the list. And and there are still some of those songs that I will do in the future. You know, there's not a lot, but there are a handful of songs that I, I feel like I just never had the right reason to do, in the way that maybe they didn't fit into Government Mule, they didn't fit into the Alma Brothers, they didn't fit into Tales of Ordinary Madness or even Man in Motion, Yeah. Uh, and so it was nice when I did Ashes and Dust to be able to to kind of, uh, no, no pun
1: intended, dust some of those songs off, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, so it wasn't a case of like the song's not ready, you were sort of polishing that one and, and trying to get it right in a way, it was just literally I haven't got the right outlet for this yet
0: well yeah in some cases like one of the songs there's a song called is it me or you which i wrote about a friend of mine uh who was spiraling out of control at that time and he consequently uh died he was murdered allegedly murdered wow and I couldn't sing that song for decades.
1: Yeah, I understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so it, it literally took me that long to step away from it long enough to to feel like it was a song that, that I could get up night after night and, and sing. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because it was written when he was still alive and then he was no, lo, no longer with us, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, not something that I expected, although in hindsight,
1: many of us knew he was
0: out of control.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have one last question for you now Warren because we've kept you for ages I know and you've, you've been great it's been great talking to you it's hearing all your stories I know we could go on all night I mean you've had such a great career that we could talk for, forever well I could talk to you forever anyway I'm sure you've got better things to do but yeah. um, this is a question I always finish up the the blues podcast with and uh, I always like to put this one to uh, to everybody I talk to so I have a scenario for you to imagine. Uh, it's, uh, it's the end of the world. It's the last day of the world. There's some sort of meteorite coming towards the earth or something like that. Uh, and the, uh, the world government is, has decided we need to have a great big party to celebrate, to go out with a bang, basically. And uh, they've, they've, asked, they've come to you and said, Warren, we need you to put a band together for this show, and we need you to pick a big song to go out on. So who would be in your band and what would be the great final song? Uh, is
0: it limited to people who are still living?
1: This is this is the first question that everybody always asks me at this point. <laughs> and I always say, right, it's slightly in the future. So you can have a hologram of of anybody you like. So you can have living or, or dead. So, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if uh, if it was holograms and people that are no longer with us then i i wouldn't want to be there either i would just want to pick the band and sit and listen <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know with uh, hendrix and miles davis and uh, <laughs> all my favorite people um you know th- that's that's such a tough one uh my favorite band uh in some ways is the miles davis quintet with Herbie Hancock and Miles and Tony Williams and Ron Carter and Wayne Shorter. People say, well, you're not a jazz musician. Why, why do you like that? Well, I love that music and I'm very influenced by it. Uh, but that might be a little lofty for this particular party. Uh, Little Feet, like the Little Feet, mid, mid to late seventies, Little Feet, uh, the original Almond Brothers, once again without me, <laughs> would would be a perfect band for that. Uh, maybe uh, the initial Almond Brothers band with Dwayne Almond and Barry Oakley doing whipping post, uh, and I could just be in the audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'd be right there with you. Yeah, that sounds that sounds all right to me. That's you know, I could I could go out on that one. That would be all right, wouldn't it? Well, uh,
0: and and somewhat appropriate, I guess.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it seems fitting, doesn't it? Good Lord, I feel like I'm dying. (laughs) So long. Yeah. (laughs) Man, it's just been an absolute joy to talk to you uh, here on the Blues Podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, My
0: pleasure. Pleasure talking to you. And I I hate that we're making light of such a dark subject, but hey, what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is the human nature, right? Always, always turn a, 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 a try and turn the bright side to a to a dark side of the moon, as it were.
0: And, and you know, and I gotta say, uh, Brits have always been uh, quite good at at that. I, I love that British uh, comedy in, in that regard of being able yep. to look at dark things uh, in a funny manner. Yeah, we uh, that. And,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. the only way we we get through stuff, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you've, you've been around longer than we have. Right, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, man, have have a great time. I can't wait to see you back playing again live. It's going to be, uh, it's, oh, when this craziness all finishes, it's going to be a, a, an amazing party. Yeah. Almost, it... almost as amazing
0: as the end of the world. <laughs> well, that's what we hope, is that we can make it amazing without the end of the world. And, uh, uh but yeah, I look forward to it too, and to seeing you in person as opposed to like uh, virtual. But hopefully, yeah. we'll all be playing soon.
1: So, if you've enjoyed this, why not like and subscribe to the Blues Podcast right now? All right.